anxious thing. You don't want to arrive too early. You don't want to be late, but you've made it this morning, and so it's great to have you. Uh, why don't you stand as we go right into uh, some worship this morning? Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken the life. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. faithful through every storm oh you'll be faithful forevermore you have done great things and i know you will do it again for your promises yes and amen you will do great things oh god you do great things Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive, break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awakened alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. And hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things you've done great things oh hero of heaven you conquered the grave you free every captive and break every chain oh god you have done great things we dance in your freedom awakened alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things, you have done great things, oh God, you do great things. Amen. 
praises rising eyes are turning to you we turn to you and hope is stirring hearts are yearning for you we long for you because when we see you we find strength to face the day and in your presence all our fears are washed away washed away Hosanna You are the God who saves us, worthy of all your praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. the sound of hearts returning to you we turn to you and in your kingdom broken lives are made new you make us new when we see you we find strength to face the day and in your presence all our fears are washed away are washed away Hosanna Hosanna you are the God who saves us Worthy of all our praises And Hosanna, Hosanna Come have your way among us We welcome you here, Lord Jesus Cause when we see you We find strength to face the day and in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away, are washed away. And Jose. God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. And Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us. We 
welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Oh, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Amen. We do. We welcome his presence here among us. His presence is here, and we're welcoming him here. Why don't you say hi, smile at someone, wave at somebody before you're seated this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, welcome to this first Sunday of November, and uh, we're glad that you're here. I want to extend a warm welcome to all of you, and uh, it's just been beautiful weather and a beautiful day again today, and it's great to have you here uh, to worship with us in person, and also want to welcome those of you who are joining us via the live stream today. Delighted that you're here. If this is the first time that you have been present here at Evangel, uh, we want to give you a special welcome and tell you that we would uh, like to be able to come alongside and serve you and, and help you and encourage you along the way. And uh, for us to know that you're here, the best way we know to do that is to ask you if you would fill out a card that you'll find in the seat pocket in front of you. And then at the end of the service, you can take it to the uh, information desk in the foyer. Someone there will receive it from you. And there is a small gift there for you as well. So I uh, just encourage you to do that. Now, last Sunday, I announced that today we would be celebrating Cindy Joyner's uh, service here with us at the end of the service, but there were some complications to some scheduling things that came up this week, and so as a result of that, we have rescheduled it for next week. So um, if some of you came just for that, you're going to be two in a row. So uh, next Sunday, so uh, we're looking forward to that. It's going to work best for Cindy, and uh, it's going to be a great situation and opportunity for us to celebrate her uh, as she retires and uh, moves away and after serving so faithfully here for about 17 and a half years. So we're going to miss her for sure, and we're going to make sure she knows that when we celebrate with her next Sunday morning. Uh, as I mentioned last week, today poinsettias go on sale, and I know it's kind of hard to be thinking that, you know, Christmas is, is coming upon us, especially when the weather has been what it has been. But um, you know, again, we're only three weeks away from, from the first Sunday of Advent. So um, you'll notice that the poinsettias are a little more expensive this year because you've probably noticed that everything is a little more expensive this year. And uh, so that's just, just the way uh, things have been uh, in recent days for, for all of us in every regard. And so uh, just to let you know that you, for those of you who maybe have not been a part of us, each Christmas we give an opportunity for individuals to place a poinsettia plant here in the church during for the Christmas season in memory of a loved one or someone uh, that you know that has passed or in honor of somebody who is, is still living. And so um, many of you participate that in that each year and have for many years. And so that opportunity is there again this year. There are two ways that you can make uh, your request to place a, a poinsettia or multiple poinsettias. There are forms in the foyer at the information desk, and you can pick one up there and you can fill it out and put the information in and uh, enclose your money there. And uh, the person working at the information desk will, will collect that from you. But if you want to do it online through our e-transfer, you can also do it that way. You can e-transfer the money. And in the message box, it's important to put there who it is that uh, you're placing the poinsettia in memory or honor of. So that way we have a record of that so we can also publish that 
uh, during the Christmas season. So there's two ways for you to do it. In a moment, we're going to just uh, send our kids out for, for kids' church. And I just want to remind you, uh, update you on, well, remind you of one thing and update you on another. One is we do have a nursery that's available for newborns up to age three. And uh, if you have a child in that range, you can take your child down there at any time. Staff are already there waiting to receive your child. And so if you have a child newborn up to age three, you can take your child there. And then JK up to grade four, I'll be just uh, sending you out in a couple moments. And I just want to let you know, uh, we've been so grateful for the last, well, couple of years really, to have uh, Esther Moore uh, coordinating our volunteers and our, and our children's ministry. And some of you may have noticed that, that Esther is uh, getting close to bringing another child into the world. And so, um, but looking good doing that, Esther, I might, might, might say, yeah. And uh, so she is now uh, officially on leave and, uh, and Pastor Scott will be coordinating that in her uh, her absence. So just to let you know that. So uh, if you're if you're ticked off about kids ministry, go see him. That's that's who you need to that's who you need to see. But if you have any questions or uh, just to let you know, he is the one that's coordinating that uh, in her absence. On that note, kids, if you are grade, uh, JK up to grade four, you can go out with your volunteers at this time. And ushers, you can receive our morning tithes and offerings. And again, you can also give through eTransfer by sending it to giving at epcoakville.com. And uh, if it's for anything specific, you can put in the message box what that is. Thank you, God bless you, and I'll hand it back to Andrew. strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your Taking my sin, my cross, my shame Rising again, I bless your name You are my all in all When I fall down, you pick me up When I am dry, you fill my cup You are my all in all Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. And Jesus, 
worthy is your name. Why don't you stand and sing that again? Oh, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. We sing that just the voices. And Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living hope Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, oh my living hope. 
came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe and out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me sing that again came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe and out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me oh jesus yours is the victory and hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. This salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. And hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. This salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, oh my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living hope. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Oh, you move, I move. I will follow. And all your ways are good. All your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone. Higher than my sight. High above my life. I will trust in you alone. And where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. Who I will follow you. Whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, who I will follow you. I will follow you. Light into the world, light into my life. I will live for you 
alone. You're the one I seek, knowing I will find all I need in you alone. In you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I move. Oh, I will follow you, whom you love, I love, how you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, oh, I will follow you. I will follow you. In you there's life everlasting. In you there's freedom for my soul in you this joy unending joy and i will follow where you go i'll go where you stay i'll stay when you move i'll move i will trust in whom you love i love how you serve i'll serve if this life I lose, oh, I will follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Whom you love, I'll love. Who you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, oh, I will follow you. Yeah, I will follow you. I will follow you I will follow you God thank you for the the truth that that we can trust in you that where you go we will go that we will follow that we'd put our, our full, complete trust in you, that we know that you have our best in mind, that you are looking out for us, God. That it's your will be done, not ours. It'd be your will in our lives, God. That we would just trust that you have our lives in your hands, God. That you're working things out for good for those that love you, God. So would we just love you? Would we trust you? We would follow your will in our lives, God. As we move into the, the next part of the service, I just pray for Pastor Shannon as he brings the word, God, that, that as always it would be you speaking through him, God. Lord, would you, would you speak to us this morning? Lord, would you Give us a word, God, some kind of encouragement or challenge or whatever it is we may need going into this next week or in the circumstance we find ourselves in. So just, just be with us the rest of this service, with those watching online, or even later in the week, God, that, that you would be with each and every one of us, speaking to each and every one of us, God. Lord, we love you. We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in 2 Samuel.
chapter 24, and we're going to read the first four verses. It says, Now again the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. The king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go about now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to register the people of Israel. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, worship team, for for leading us this morning. As a child, and I must admit, even as a parent, (laughs) I loved watching Sesame Street. That's the nice thing about having kids, right? You can watch all the fun kid shows too, like all over again, especially the ones that have been around forever. And uh, so I used to love watching Sesame Street and teaching children how to count is one of the many educational priorities of the show. So they introduced a character that you're probably very familiar with, Count Von Count, who loves to count things. Ah, ah, ah. See, you've watched it. I know, I know. Couldn't resist that. Humans place a high value on counting. And for various reasons. We count money. We count people. We count capacity. We count inventory. We count birthdays. We count anniversaries. We count time. We count pairs of shoes. We count steps taken in a day. We count calories eaten. We count enrollment. We count the number of hours until we are once again with the ones we love. And we count the number of hours before the ones we love come home and steal away from us the quiet time that we've been having. We count the days until Christmas. There's actually 49. In case you're wondering, 49. Counting is important because it it orders our world and it gives us an understanding of our environment and it can bring us comfort and peace. Sometimes it can bring us Anxiety when there's nothing to count. (laughs) Today, we are continuing our fall sermon series, which we've entitled Heart for God, based on the life of King David, who we have said is referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Now, if you're counting, this is number eight of the 10-week series. Over the past two Sundays, we have focused in on some of the negative things in David's life, the low moments. And we've talked about difficult things like adultery and murder and family dysfunction. Today, we'll be considering one final low moment, but certainly different than those in David's life. And it actually revolves around counting. And um, specifically, David taking a a census in Israel. 
And what we'll be reminded of today is this. Those who have a heart for God place their trust in the promises of God, not in the resources that are available to them. Those who have a heart for God place their trust in the promises of God, not in the resources available to them. And so we're going to take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 24, which is the last chapter in 2 Samuel. And actually that chapter is divided equally into three parts of eight verses each. And we're going to consider each one of them very briefly today. So we're going to start with, the first is, count me in. Count me in. We find the account of David taking a census recorded in two places in Scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 24, which I read about this morning, and also in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Now, it's interesting, if you read them side by side, you'll notice that in 2 Samuel, we are told that God was angry with Israel, and his anger burned against Israel because of sin. Now, we don't know, we're not told what this particular sin was that caused God to be angry with them. We, we don't know what it was, but whatever it was, God was not happy, and he's angry. Now, when you look at the two passages side by side, there appears to be a conflict in the two biblical accounts of the story. Most English translations of 2 Samuel say that God incited David to take a census and then he punished David for taking it. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Like, why would God incite him to take it and then be mad because he did? It, it's just confusing. You may note there's a few confusing things in Scripture, but that's another series for another time. In 1 Chronicles 21, it says that Satan incited David to take the census. Okay. So which is it? Did God incite him or did Satan incite him? It's confusing. Well, if we take a closer look, and this is one of the passages where you really have to dig because at face value, it's really confusing. But if you take a look, closer look at the, the original Hebrew language, the text suggests that the best interpretation of 2 Samuel is this, that the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and it incited David. The subject there is God's anger, not God. And so it was a response to God's anger that incited David to take the census. It wasn't God that incited him, it was God's anger that prompted it. And Satan, the adversary, appears to be instrumental in helping David make the decision to take the census. Now, if you Read the New American Standard, which is what we read this morning, which is my wife's favorite translation. Uh, it says it like we read it this morning because I, re I read from it. It. And it's a better translation in terms of, you know, we always argue which is like the most spiritual translation. Well, that's another sermon too. But the New American Standard tends to have a very accurate word-for-word -word interpretation. And so they really nail it on this one. Now, God gave, or sorry, David gave the task of taking a census in Israel and Judah to Joab, the commander. Now, census taking in itself was, wasn't a sin. There wasn't a problem with taking a census. So what's the issue here? What's the problem? 
What he was asking Joab to do was to determine the number of all of the men 20 years and older who were able to serve in the king's army. Again, if you take a look, closer look at the language, the word used for people is not all people. It's a very specific group of people. And the word number, to number them, means to enroll them. And so the issue was this. God's promise to Israel was to lead them, to protect them, to build their future with them. And it was all contingent on Israel being faithful to God. Well, clearly, Israel had not been faithful to God, and God was angry about that. And David, knowing all of this, is likely very concerned that if God is angry with us, that's going to threaten the prosperity of his reign, because if God starts holding back his protection and his blessing, then David knows, well, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And so it seems to put himself at ease, he had Joab go out and enroll men into a larger army. And a larger army would give him the comfort and confidence that his reign was more secure. And the problem was this. In reaction to God's anger, David chose to secure his trust in multiplied troops rather than putting his trust in God. He just felt if he had a greater sense of more support that he would be okay. Count me in. Secondly, count me out. After 10 months, it took a long time, of intense and thorough work, Joab returned to David with his report of these able-bodied men. A term that's used to describe those who are of unusual courage, strong defenders, and who can handle a sword. And in Israel, there were 800,000 approximately able-bodied men. And in Judah, there were 500,000 able-bodied men. Now, this was a very positive report that should have caused David to feel very secure and successful. Wow, what a great report. Those are good numbers. But it didn't. It didn't. Immediately, David realized that what he did was wrong. It says that he was conscience-stricken. And the word conscience-stricken means to be troubled in your heart. This man with a heart, you know, uh, who had a heart after God's own heart, is now troubled in his heart, and he regretted what he had done. It was wrong, and he admitted that he had sinned greatly, that he had acted foolishly in relying on numerical strength rather than on the Lord's power, and begged God, literally begged God to take away his guilt. In response to David's prayer, God sent the prophet Gad to David. Last time he sent Nathan, this time he sent Gad. I think Nathan was on leave. He was just burned out from the last time, maybe. I don't know. But he sent the prophet Gad to David with three options of punishment. First, three years of famine. Second option, three months of fleeing from your enemies. And third option, three days of plague. We're told that David considered the options, and in considering the options, David realized that his people would suffer more than he would with the first two. Because as the king, he had food and he had protection that his people wouldn't have. But the third option of a plague 
would result in equal impact. And he was feeling very guilty for what he had done, so he chose option three, three days of plague. We're told that within a few hours, 70,000 fighting men had died within a few hours. The very ones that David put his trust in had become the most vulnerable in this situation. And at that point, God had seen enough, and he just said, stop, stop the plague. And David responded and said, God, I'm the one who sinned. I'm the one who did wrong. Let your hand fall on me and my family. Don't let anybody else suffer because of what I've done. Count me out. Thirdly, count the cost. In response to David's plea, God sent his messenger to the prophet Gad, who was then sent to David with instructions. David was to go up to Aruna's threshing floor, up on the hill, up on the mountain, and build an altar to the Lord and offer up a sacrifice. If you're wondering why is there a threshing floor on a mountain, well, threshing floors need winnowing. They throw this in the air, the wind takes it. No better place than the top of a mountain. So David went up there to build an altar to the Lord and offer a sacrifice. So he immediately sent out, set out. Aruna saw David and his entourage coming and went out to meet them and paying homage by, by bowing down and asking, like, why are you here? Why would the king be here in this humble place? And David informed him that he had come to buy the threshing floor so he could build an altar in that location for the Lord. Aruna offered to provide the threshing floor the wood, and the oxen to David for free. You're the king. It's all here. We have everything you need to do this. You just take it. It's yours. It's free of charge. And David makes the statement, which is a very famous statement in Scripture. He says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David recognized that forgiveness came at a cost. That sin was costly. Now, what's interesting here is that this location of this threshing floor is this very same place where Abraham built an altar to offer up Isaac. But God intervened and provided the replacement sacrifice. It's now the place where David would offer up an alternate sacrifice to God in exchange for the continued deaths of those in Israel. We're told that in the future, we see that it became the place where Solomon built the temple as the location where, for the atonement of Israel. And of course, eventually it would become the place where the Son of God would lay down his life for the sins of all humanity. David offered his sacrifice, and God responded as promised. Sins forgiven. There are three things that I want to consider here this morning as we look at how David taking sentences could in any way reflect towards us. The first is the reality of multiplication. The reality of multiplication. Sin always carries consequences. There's a reaping and a sowing principle when it comes to sin. In, in, the, in the moment 
of fear, in a moment of concern, in a moment of pride and arrogance, in a, in a moment of needing to be in control, David reacted by shifting his focus in God to placing his trust in what he could control, his resources. The success of David's entire life was rooted in the fact that he accomplished beyond his ability, all through his life, beyond his ability, because God helped him. God helped him every step of the way. And his low moments demonstrate for us the opposite. And so for us, in our moments of fear and anxiety, in our moments of concern, in our moments of pride and arrogance, in our moments when we feel that we need to be in control, we sometimes react like David by shifting our focus from trusting in God to trusting in what we can control, our resources. And like David, the success of our lives as children of God, the times that we have accomplished things beyond ourselves, those times have been rooted in our trusting God to help us. Any of those good things that we've seen, God has helped us with those things. But like David, sometimes we lose sight of this. And we try and take control only to realize later that we shouldn't have, that that was not the right thing to do. And even though we may have remorse and we repent and we are restored, what we have learned from the mistakes of David in this series is that there are often consequences of sin that we can't change because trust is broken. Relationships are violated. Circumstances are impacted that set off a domino effect. And you've often heard me say that no one sins alone. No one sins alone. Our choices in a moment to do the wrong thing have an impact on others over and above ourselves. Our choices in a moment to do the wrong thing will have an impact on our spouses. He'll have an impact on our children. It will impact our families. It could impact our jobs. It might impact your faith, your finances, your health. People who treat consequences in a trivial matter are the ones who trust themselves who thrust themselves rather into wrong choices without consideration of the collateral damage. Impending consequences should deter us from wrong. But for most of us, consequences are a necessary reality to our poor choices. And so we are reminded here, no one sins alone. Our choices and our behavior affects others. That's the reality. It just multiplies and goes to other people. Secondly, the dilemma of subtraction. I would suggest, I believe, that it would be safe to say that numbers are important to evangelicals. Numbers are important to churches. 
there sometimes tends to be an obsession or a fixation on numbers. And I've been a part of this my whole life, so I, I know this to be true. We are fixated on numbers. We just, we just are. And some people will justify by saying, well, numbers are important. I mean, God called a whole book of the Bible numbers, so it must be important, right? I mean, we love numbers. And we watch numbers and we count numbers. We count the number of people in attendance. We count the number on the membership list. We count the number of children in a program. We count the number of people who are reached by our message. We count the amount of money in our annual income. We count the amount of money raised for missions and benevolence. The amount raised for a specific building project. The amount of money in the bank account. We love to count numbers. We really do love numbers in churches. We just love numbers. I mean, I, I believe nothing excites a church crowd more than a testimony or a report of increasing numbers. I get, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. And I want to say that increasing numbers, well, that's important because ministry should bear fruit. And, and we tie a lot of our understanding of fruit to nickels and noses, right? Nickels and noses, that's the fruit. We tie a lot of it to that. As much as increasing numbers creates a buzz of excitement, decreasing numbers creates the opposite. Anxiety, concern, fear, a sense of failure. Now for me personally, subtraction creates a dilemma. It really creates a dilemma for me. I'm literally torn by it. Well, maybe figuratively torn by it. On one hand, when numbers decrease, there's a sense of failure of leadership, panic, concern. It's falling apart. It's fading away. But on the other hand, I've been in ministry long enough to know that increasing numbers of nickels and noses is not always an indication that we're fulfilling the mandate of Jesus. And I've been in both. I've been in a situation where it's just thriving and there's more money and people than you know what to do with and you, you lie in bed at night and you think, yeah, we're missing something in the kingdom here. Something's missing. And I've been in the other situation. I've seen both. And I've come to know that increasing numbers of nickels and noses is not always an indication that we're fulfilling the mission of Jesus. It can be a false indicator of success. I've learned that some of the most important impact of ministry can't be measured. It can't be counted. Now, our particular church took a significant hit numerically during covid Attendance has dropped a lot, although looking pretty good today, I might say. Offerings have decreased a lot. By faith, I'm believing that looks better today, too. Our membership list is a lot smaller. The things we were able to do is a lot smaller because of a decrease in people and dollars, nickels and noses. And it's concerning for me, and I suspect it's also concerning for you. I don't believe that COVID created this problem. I believe that COVID exposed a problem that already existed in churches 
at large. And now as we consider our way forward, the focus cannot be on getting our numbers back. Our focus needs to be on being a church community that honors the priorities and mission of Jesus. That has to be our focus. And as we do, I believe that the necessary numbers will follow. But our focus has to be on the priority and mission of Jesus. You see, like many in Scripture, we, some of us are familiar with the story of Gideon or, or David that we talked about today or, or Abraham, just him and his wife going to become, have children like the sands of the sea. Our strength is not in the numbers we represent in a moment. Our strength is in the God we trust. That's where our strength is. And sometimes smaller numbers, hear this, sometimes smaller numbers are needed for us to rediscover our reliance on God. Sometimes everything we rely on needs to be stripped away where all we have left is God so we can remember where we came from. And I believe that this season for us is our opportunity to rediscover our trust in God. It's easy to worship when there's lots of instruments and it's loud and it's exciting and it's emotional, but it's really hard Sometimes to worship when there's not a whole lot. And in that, we have been so desensitized, I believe, in worship environments, in North American evangelicalism, that so much folks focused on music and songs and emotion that we've lost our ability to find the presence of God. And maybe we need all of it to be stripped away so that like the little church in Cuba when you walk in that has 12 people and somebody has a dried out gourd that they're banging a stick on in the front and the presence of God is so powerful you hardly know what to do with yourself. Maybe God is trying to teach us that. Because subtraction is a dilemma. We don't celebrate subtraction, but a lot of really good stuff comes when a lot of stuff is taken away. And so as we learn to trust God in our individual lives, that will flow over into our church in the form of increased service, in the form of increased sacrifice, in the form of increased giving. As God gets our attention and says, we rebound and as we rebuild, let's make sure that our focus is on what God wants for us not what makes us feel successful as people or as a church. Let's make sure our focus is on what God wants. And let's engage this season of subtraction and the dilemma that it presents as one of the most positive experiences we can have. Thirdly, the opportunity of addition. David's act of repentance and obedience established a space for his son Solomon to build a temple based on God's desire and provide a future opportunity for God's plan to unfold. Not just for Israel, because the promise was never for just Israel, but that all the nations of the world would be blessed for all humanity. 
And as I read that, I'm reminded that repentance in our lives, when we experience repentance in our lives, our repentance creates an opportunity for others to be impacted and build lives of faithfulness to God. You've heard me talk about my dad on many occasions, and and I will say very clearly to any group at any time, my father was one of the most influential people in my decision to accept Christ and my opportunity that came to serve Christ with all of my life. He was the most influential person. And on an Easter Sunday morning when I was just a young boy, my, my father walked from the back pew of our little church and knelt at the altar at the front because that's what you did back then. And he gave his life to Jesus. And that decision not only changed his life, it changed mine. It impacted mine. As many of you know, I come from a large family. I have 10 siblings. For many years, I was the only one serving Jesus. Out of 11 kids, I was the only one. Many years. My father prayed every day that his whole family for his whole family to come to Jesus. And he died in 1996, not realizing that desire. He went to the grave carrying that burden and that desire and that prayer. But I want to tell you today that slowly over time, one by one, things began to change. Because suddenly there was two of us. And then there was three of us, and then four, and most recently in the last few months, five and six. See, you like numbers, right? We're over halfway there now. We're over halfway there. In fact, if you had asked me 10 years ago, would we be here? I'd like to say, well, by faith, I hope so, but yeah, I don't know. Right? You got family like mine. Oh, I forgot they're watching. You know what's true. Yeah. Right? We're over halfway there now. It's taken a long time. And God is not done yet. But I personally believe that I will see my father's prayer come to pass. I believe that. Many of us have loved ones that we long to see come to Jesus. I know you do. It breaks your heart. Your, your tears flow over it. You pray. You, you think about them all through the night. More than anything in the world, that's what you want. You want them to find Jesus. But this is what I've discovered is that sometimes when the longing of our hearts for the people we love to know Jesus, our focus is on their need to repent. And there is. But perhaps, just perhaps, like David, the repentance that takes place in our lives on a continual ongoing basis will create the opportunity and the inspiration for their repentance. So maybe, dare I say, sometimes maybe we don't need to be so focused on their need for repentance as on our need for repentance. And let that be 
the catalyst that touches and changes their lives. If I have taught my children one thing of significant value, I hope it's this. That your father is a flawed disaster, but discovered somehow how to, to repent and look to God in every moment and not afraid to admit, got it wrong, need to change. And I pray that that will always be a catalyst for them to do the same. Repentance in our lives creates an opportunity for others to be impacted and build lives of faithfulness to God. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. And as I conclude, may I remind us all this morning, no one sins alone. Our choices and our behavior affects others. Our strength is not in numbers. Our strength is not in resources. Our strength is in the God that we trust. And repentance in our lives creates an opportunity for others to be impacted and build lives of faithfulness to God because those who have a heart for God place their trust in the promises of God, not in the resources available to them. Would you stand with me this morning? Andrew is going to lead us, and in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus and what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus and precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus Sorry, on the way in this morning, you should have received communion cup. For those of you who haven't been a part of us in the last couple of years as we've struggled with this, if you push down the tab, thin layer on the top should separate and give you access to the top wafer, and then the larger, thicker cover should give you access. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, referring to Jesus, 
saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. In agreement confirmed with my blood, do this in remembrance of me. Often, sorry, wrong scripture, sorry. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. He took, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's, let's eat together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with his blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink it together. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you and we praise you. Give you glory and honor. And Father, we come before you today And we're reminded that as we celebrate communion together, that we're reminded of a past, a moment in the past when we didn't know you as our personal Lord and Savior. And we graciously received your love and your mercy as we cried out to you and you changed our lives. And in this moment, we're reminded of that. In this moment, we're reminded in the present that you are always with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. That we can put our trust in you. That as we put our trust in you for many years before, we can trust in you today. We pray that communion will remind us for you to be the focus of where we put our trust. Not in the things that we acquire. Not in the power that we hold. Not in the influence that we have. But in you. And Lord, we're reminded to do this until you come and we are recognized that there's a future. There's a future filled with hope. That as painful and dark and broken as our world may be at times, there will be a moment when you will redeem this world just as you've redeemed us. And you will come again. And we will be with you. So we thank you for that this morning. Lord, we pray today for the Sauce family. And we thank you that Edith was able to enter into your presence this past week and experience in reality what she had longed for for so long. And I pray now for the family who are left to grieve. I pray, pray that you would comfort and strengthen them as they face each day without her being here. And we thank you for the encouragement and the comfort that comes from knowing that she's with you. Lord, today we pray for Joe Pollock and we pray for your strength in his life. 
your healing, your touch upon him. Pray for his family as they care for him. Pray for family who are a long way away, who wish they could be closer. I pray that you would give them comfort and peace. And Father, today, around our world, we recognize and remember the persecuted church. And Lord, we believe and we know that there are many around the world today who are persecuted for their faith, who suffer significantly, greatly, because of their love and trust in you. And we pray today, God, for your comfort. We pray today for your strength. And we pray today, God, in all of the subtraction that they're experiencing, that you would do amazing things through their lives. Lord, we pray that prayer today because we know that that's their prayer. But Lord, as a follower of you, we never want the painful experiences of our lives to go without being useful to your kingdom, to you, to others. Father, I pray for the fruit that will come through their lives, through their suffering and their anguish. So we lift them up before you today. And Father, as we leave this place, I pray that in whatever way it is that you're trying to get our attention individually to remind us of our need to reset, to look to you, to not put our trust in all of the things that we've acquired around us or put our dependence in, but use this season to remind us that we need to reattune our focus to you. And Lord, out of that, I pray that the resources that we need to do what you've called us to do would be available to us so that we can faithfully serve you in the ways that you desire us to serve you. We pray these things today as we leave. Use us in every place we find ourselves this week. May we be a blessing, inspiration, and may our lives point to Jesus. And we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. There will be a celebration, God willing, next week. So make sure you, you get that in your calendar. Have a great day. God bless you.